Well, uh, we've been, of course, preaching about uh, the birth of Christ uh, this, this uh, month uh, leading up to uh, Christmas. And today it's going to be called The Plan of Christmas. But the whole series is called It's All About Jesus. And Christmas is all about Jesus. As I said earlier, um, it's in the news. Some churches are, are wondering whether they should close on Christmas Day. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to judge their motives. I'm sure they have maybe some good reasons to wonder. But uh, it's, it's kind of strange because this is where we're su- supposed to be this morning uh, and, and on Christmas Day to worship him. Psalm 139, just listen to these verses, verses 13 through 18. This is about God's attention to when you were created. Um, it, David is writing and it says, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. And, and these words are the same words that are used in Genesis when God created Adam and Eve. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret in this mother's womb. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your books book was were written every one of them the days that are formed for me when as yet there was not there there was none of them how precious to me are your thoughts O God and how vast is the sum of them if I would count them they are more than the sand I awake and I'm still with you in our, in our Sunday school class we were talking about the love of God for us and, and what God has done for us and uh, those verses indicate how much God cares about each one of us. Uh, when we talk about the birth of Christ here at Christmas time, when I, when I was a kid, I, I've said this, I grew up in church and I grew up with the Christian story. And, and as a family tradition on New Year, on Christmas Eve, I don't know why I want to say New Year's Eve. I just, those words go together so much. But on Christmas Eve, every year we would uh, read Luke 2, 1 through 20, the, the story of his actual birth. And as a seven-year-old, I, had, I, don't, I don't know what happened to that teacher, but I must have had an awesome Sunday school teacher because I learned the books of the Bible in that Sunday school class, and I memorized Luke 2, 1 through 20 at seven years old because of that teacher in that class. So that story is extremely informative and, and, and stuck there. But, but we do ourselves a disservice, I believe, in the church that we only pull out the birth of Jesus once a year. And then I got four, maybe five weeks to cover it all. And reality, we could study what God was doing in the incarnation of Christ year round. I mean, that's a fantastic story as well. But it has a, it has a ending. It has a point, And that is his life and then his death on the cross. And then dying for our sins, being buried. And on third day, rising again to put into force this New Testament, this new covenant that, uh, that he made with us, uh, for us. And, and so it, it's very important. But when we think about the birth of Christ, which I'll talk about next week. Um, don't forget, we'll be here Christmas Eve as well. We'll be talking. Um, but every element of this story is fantastic. Or, and I mean that as fantastical. It's like, it's a fantasy. It, if you really stop and say, do you really believe this? It is almost incomprehensible to our minds. It's almost beyond what you and what, when you and I could think. What is the true story here? What, what is really going on? And what is really strange to me is Mary and Joseph believe the story, and it costs them greatly. And so I want to look at 
just in general the story real quickly this morning so we can see. Here's what I want you to take home with you today. When you know God's word, you know God's plan. You, you can't know what God's up to unless you read his word. A lot of times we, we say, I wish I knew what God wanted. And, and I understand what you mean when you say that. But God wrote down what he wanted. And if we're living here, he will guide our steps, according to Proverbs, which is there, 3, 5, and 6. That, that when we acknowledge him, when we trust him, when we open ourselves to him, he, he does guide our steps. And so I want to look first at what happened to Mary. So you can be open your Bibles to Luke 1. And I'm not going to read all the verses. Hopefully they're relatively familiar to you. But, uh, but we try to keep ourselves uh, in a decent time period. Um, and, and there are a lot of scriptures I want to cover. But let me just say, in basic, you've got a young woman who uh, is never, uh, she's a virgin, I'll just put it that way. And suddenly an angel shows up and talks to her, okay? So that's in general. And he tells her she's going to have this baby and it's going to be Jesus. And so we're going to look at that. So in verse 26... Gabriel appears, but I want you to look at the appearance of Gabriel in verse 26, and and I'll I'll read select verses as we go. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, okay? So, we know about Bethlehem. We know they went there, and that's where Jesus was born, but I don't know if you realize Nazareth is the hometown of Mary. If you go there today, Mary's well is there, and it is Mary's well. There's a lot of places in the in, in Israel and the Holy Lands that, that they say something happened, but they don't know. Everybody's guessing. But they know that because only well there is. That's the only well there could be. And uh, so we know that Mary got water from the same well you can go drink out of right there in Nazareth uh, even today. But notice this, it, just for your understanding, the, it starts off with, in this verse, in the sixth month. Sixth month of what? The year? No, the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Now, we find that in chapter 1 before these verses. That there was a priest and his wife who are Mary's cousins. And they could not have children and they were too old to have children. And an angel appears to this priest while he's doing his duties in the temple. Tells him his wife's going to have a baby. It was a little bit like Abraham and Sarah. He's like, I don't get that. And he says, well, here is a sign for you. You're not going to be able to talk for the next nine months. Because God's going to do it. And so sure enough. His wife becomes with child. He can't talk for nine months. How frustrating is that? He can't tell them what the angel, anything about what's going on. He can't talk. Maybe he could write it and they could read it. I don't know, but it's kind of frustrating. So when she was six months pregnant, this angel, and he's named in Luke 1, Gabriel, one of these mightier angels, appears to, uh, he was sent by God to go and make this announcement. So we, we see his uh, authority to Nazareth, Mary's hometown. And by the way, they do Christmas big in Nazareth. Uh, they just, it, it, it's crazy because that's Mary's hometown. But anyway, and who is he sent to? Look at verse 27. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name is Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. The Bible doesn't waste words. Again, you grow up hearing these words and they become words, you know. But, but every word there is very important. First of all, she's a virgin. Uh, we talked about the, the theology of the incarnation. I don't know if that's what we called it because I don't want to scare you off with big words that I have to look up too. Um, but, the, but in the incarnation, we, we find out that Jesus is fully human and fully man. And I mean, fully human and fully God at the same time. And, and so, and Mary had to be a virgin for that to happen. There could not be any question 
that what was going on was a God thing. Now, uh, I don't like that phrase, but you, it communicates. You understand what I'm saying. And notice it says betrothed uh, to a man whose name is Joseph. I don't, I don't know any time in my life I would have used the word betrothed outside of reading this. <laughs> right? We don't use that word. But I like when we look at the definition of that word, the word is pledged. Pledged. She pledged. Her dad pledged her, but she seems to have been in agreement that this is going to be your husband, and she's agreed to it. Now, uh, and just in case you don't know, just real quickly, this is a very, very uh, important thing, uh, this betrothal, as it would be called, because it was taken so seriously, it would take divorce to break it. And so I'm going to talk about Joseph, and you'll understand that a little bit better. But she is of the house of David, and so is Joseph. Okay, they are distant cousins, and, and we, we can see that. And Mary is pledged to marry Joseph. And so here comes the question, why Mary? Why, why is Mary that person? I taught Sunday school, so I'm extra thirsty this morning. Excuse me. Um, why did God choose Mary? Just think for a moment. Ask yourself that question and try to answer it. You know, why did God choose Mary? We could come up with a lot of reasons. Oh, she's, you know, she was qualified. She's a virgin. All those things. But, but when we boil it all down, we realize that God guarded the ancestral line leading to Mary. There are two genealogies uh, about Mary and Joseph in the Bible. One in Luke, Luke 3, and one in Matthew, Matthew 1 for Joseph, Luke 3 for Mary. And we find there that God was doing something to bring about a woman named Mary. He was very carefully guarding that ancestral line because she also had to be of the house of David because Jesus had to be a physical descendant of David as well as a legal descendant of David. And he was both legal through Joseph and physically through Mary. And it boils down to she is going to be the woman to give birth to the Messiah. The word Christ and Messiah is the same word, two different languages. Messiah is Hebrew, Christ is Greek. She is going to be the one to bring that promised child into the world. And I never thought about it this way, but in studying this week, I, I, I saw this and I thought it, it helped us in our modern world to understand it so much better. Mary contributed the human DNA of Christ. Think about that. Mary provided his humanity and his DNA. Every baby is half their mom and half their dad in DNA, right? And so Jesus is the God-man, God DNA and human DNA. And she has the DNA of David. She, she, she contributed the humanity of Christ. And we see that in Luke 3 because it tells the whole story there in Luke 3 of the lineage. But the angel tells her what's about to happen. He says, oh, by the way, you're going to have a baby. And then, he, then the angel describes that baby. And again, this is a point in the story, much less being a virgin. But what is happening is, is unbelievable. Because the angel appears and says, notice what he says there in verse uh, 28. The angel came there and said, greetings, O favored one. Yahweh is, or the Lord is with you. But she was troubled. It scared her. I mean, she's probably a teenager. We, I don't know. People say she's somewhere 15, 16, 17 years old. Pretty young. 
And she's troubled at what the angel said. And she tried to understand what this greeting was. And the angel knew she was afraid. So in verse 3 he says, don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. That word favor means grace. God has shown grace on you, Mary. Because guess what? You're going to give birth to the Messiah. Say what? <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's freaky enough that an angel's talking to you. I'm sure she's still wondering, am I dreaming? What's going on? And now she hears words that she's going to give birth to the Messiah. And behold, verse 31, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son and call his name Jesus. He'll be great and he'll be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. She's of the lineage of David. Her betrothed husband is of the lineage of David. In fact, in his genealogy, Joseph's father would have been king, descended from David, if there had been a king then. And he will reign over the house of Israel forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, here you've got a freaked out teenage girl. Anybody ever seen a freaked out teenage girl before? I had two of them. I tried to help them never to be freaked out. They did a really good job. But typically, <laughs> she ought to be totally freaked out. What she asks... I don't know if it's like obvious for her to ask it or just weird for her to ask it. She goes, well, how's that going to work since I'm a virgin? Pretty honest question, I think. So somewhere she, she, she kept her sanity and he said, because the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, come upon you and, there, and the, most, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. We read this a couple of weeks ago. We see God the Father and God the, God the Spirit there and the God the Son is going to be in her womb. And therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And by the way, your, resident, your cousin Elizabeth, she's six months pregnant. News hadn't got up here to Nazareth. But a woman who is old is six months pregnant. And you can go check that out and you'll know what I told you is true. And then we come to the last verse in this discourse with Mary. And this statement of Mary is the statement of her whole life. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She said, Yes. And the angel left. Well, let's look a little bit at her fiancé, Joseph. Uh, we'll use the word fiancé. Go back to John, uh, the book of Matthew and chapter 1. I almost said John. Matthew and chapter 1. And, and by the way, I kept mentioning in Luke 3, verses 23 to 38, Mary's of the house of David, and there's a genealogy there to prove it. And Mary's genealogy goes all the way back to Adam, who is the son of God, the Bible says. And so it completes the humanity of Jesus to know that he's descended from the first man, Adam. Of course, we all are, but the Bible shows it in that gene genealogical line. But now... We got Joseph. We got a whole new problem here. Because I mentioned betrothal and how serious it is. But here, here's what you don't know. Is it was legal for them to act as husband and wife. But people that wanted to be righteous didn't act that way until it was complete. The marriage was completed. Y'all following me, right? In case there's any leftover kids in here. I want to say that so that. You don't confess at me later for having to explain that to your kids. All right? And we have Joseph's genealogy. As I said, it comes, 
the kingly line from David to Joseph. That's in Matthew 1, the first 17 verses. But in verse 18, we have this visit from an angel. And look at verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, he wants to make it clear. Why does the Bible keep making clear Mary's a virgin? Because if a human had ever been with her in that way, there would be doubt over whether Jesus is the Son of God. Correct? And I'll tell you why it's correct. That's what the Romans told them. That's what the Pharisees said. They all said, we don't know who this boy's daddy is. Probably you've lived that in some form in your life of knowing someone or relative where people are wondering. Well, we don't know how Joseph found out about it, but we know he found out. Now, if you are a godly man and you have, listen, I'm going to control myself, Mary. You don't have to doubt me. You, you, can, you can rest assured. And then she shows up with child. Game over. <laughs> to quote that great theologian in the movie Tombstone, well, bye. Right? I mean, what, what, what are you going to do? And Joseph is totally devastated. And we, we read this in the very next verse. Verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. What does that mean? Joseph loved Mary. We see this great care and love in Joseph. And that's not typical. In that day, you know, you know, for whatever reason, political game, financial game, whatever, a man would pick someone to marry and make the agreement with their dad. And that love would not look like what we think of as love in America today. It's not mushy. It's not going to be a Hallmark movie, I'm going to tell you. All right? Um, it, that, that would be a twist if they actually showed something like that. But, but, uh, but it's, it, and so here he is faithful, and this girl that I trusted has betrayed me, and he... But I can't hurt her because if he publicly brings her to trial, they're going to kill her. And he doesn't want that. They're going to want to stone her to death. Because that's what the law prescribed for that. And so he said, well, I'll just do it quietly. And we'll just tell people, well, you know, we bought our way out. We, we decided against it. And her dad agreed. And we're just, we're, we're not going to get married. So he's just, he's trying to play it off. So Mary doesn't get in any trouble. Which is... A show of love. But I, I want you to notice that, that Joseph is a just man. God has put him in between a rock and a hard place. I don't know why God didn't show up to Joseph and say, Hey, Joseph, here's what I'm going to do with Mary, so I don't want you to freak out when it happens. But instead, he lets him freak out, and then he comes and explains it to him. I don't understand why God did that. I may still care when I get to heaven, and I'll ask. I don't know. I probably, all the things I think I want to know when I get to heaven, I probably won't care once I get there. But, but, but that is a question. But he's a just man. He is a godly man. That means he, he keeps the law. And he's unwilling to put her to, notice it says, to shame her, to public shame. And I want you to catch that because it has some greater meaning. And it's still meaning, that meaning is still true today in Israel. In verse 19, he says, unwilling to put her to shame. We live in America, right? Y'all know that, right? We're, we're, it's, we actually live in the United States of America. We live in North America. America is not a country. The United States is a country. Okay, just to help. If you ever go to South America, don't say you're from America because they'll get ticked. Say I'm from North America and they'll be happy. All right, but 
in the culture, in, in America, I am what until proven guilty? Yeah, that don't work, and that's not what they go by over there. You can be innocent and still be ashamed. It's a shame-honor culture. We'll show you honor, or we will shame you. She is expecting child outside of full wedlock, and he doesn't want to shame her. He doesn't want everybody to look down upon her, but he's not going to marry her because he feels like she's cheated on him, and he could never trust her. So he's going to privately put her away to avoid the public shame, and he's going to go his own way. And that shows the care and the love that Joseph had, but it might help you understand, it doesn't matter if Mary is innocent or guilty, it's a matter of shame or honor. And I will tell you, from then till now, we have honored Mary, but in her day, they all shamed her. And like I said, Jesus is between 30 and 33, and the Pharisees said, we know who our daddy is, we don't know who your dad is. They're still shaming Mary. They're still shaming Joseph even then. But I love verse 20, because it tells us more about Joseph. While he considered these things, he's a thoughtful man. He didn't just go, what? No way, get out! No, he's going, oh no, what am I going to do? Well, Lord, I, I can't marry her. She's been unfaithful, but they're going to kill her. I, I, if I don't, and how do I do this? Well, I've got to figure out a way to do this. Quiet. And he hasn't given up on it. He's still thinking about it. And he is open to hearing from God. Are you open to hearing from God? Are you looking at a situation in your life going, I don't know what's going to happen here. I don't get it. I don't can you just wait and go, well, Lord, what are you going to do about this? Doesn't say that he prayed that, but he is thinking about all of this, and he gets a visit from an angel. Now, the angel's not named in Matthew. I'm going to assume it's Gabriel, because Gabriel is always the announcer guy. And so, as he's considering these things, an angel appears to him in a dream and says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call him his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's Isaiah 7, 14. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the Lord had commanded. Now, this word from the angel, he considers it as a word from the Lord. And he did what the Lord commanded. He went ahead and took her in as his wife. That wasn't supposed to happen yet. Because in their culture, you got, the, you got the engagement agreement. You went back home and you either added a room to your dad's house or you built a house. When the house was ready, you came back and got your wife. I go to prepare a place for you. Our husband told us this in John 14. And when your place is ready, I will come back and get you. They understood that. We don't, but they did. So Joe says, okay, Dad, we got to get her in here now. She's coming to live with us. He goes, gets her to make it legal so nobody will know. But they did know. They figured it out. And so Joseph says yes. Joseph agrees 
and says yes to it. And notice when he woke up, he went and did it. He didn't think about it another week. He went right away and said, Mary, sweetie, an angel appeared to me. I, I believe you. I trust you. I, that story you told me, I was like, no way. But hey, an angel showed up. I had a dream and it was a vivid dream. I mean, but I, I believe it. And so you're going to come home with me. And we see in Joseph's genealogy the care and the love that God has for humanity, by the way. And that genealogy is Matthew 1, 1 through 17. All you got to do is look at Revelation 7, 9 and know the love of God. There's a multitude that nobody can number around the throne. Saying glory to the Lamb. Amen. But here comes the question I have. Why did they say yes? Why did they say yes? We see they're the right people, the genealogy, and all of that. I was asked this question a little bit more than a week ago. and Why did they say yes? Because it would be odd to believe you're actually talking to an angel. If you came in here and said an angel appeared to me, I'd go, excuse me a minute. Hey, we need the men in the white jackets. Can you get them over here? Right? Why would they say yes? It's unbelievable. It, it would be a difficult job to accept. You're going to be the mom and dad of the Messiah. I mean, we forget about Joseph. Whose job is it to teach kids? The dad. Shocking to many dads in the room. It's your job. And the guy that's going to teach the son of God, the law that he wrote on a mountain with Moses, is Joseph. No sweat, though. <laughs> no pressure. But that's his job, right? Why would he say yes? I mean, I just go, huh? Mary believed and immediately submitted. Joseph gets a dream. He wakes up and does what the angel commanded. Why? What's going on? I refer you back to verses 22 and 23. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, the reason Joseph and Mary were quick to say yes is they were staying in God's word and understood it. They knew the prophecies. They knew what scripture taught. You can teach everything that you need to know about Christ and the coming of Christ out of the Old Testament. Now, the Old Testament defines further what it means for what God's full plan is. But Think about that. The apostles only had the Old Testament. They were writing the New Testament. They only had the Old Testament to teach from. And Jesus, after his resurrection on the road to Emmaus, taught from Genesis 1 to the end of Malachi everything concerning the coming of the Messiah to two guys. Joseph and Mary. And in this time period, the Jews are living under Roman oppression there in Israel. And they're crying out to God for deliverance. And everybody's looking for a Messiah. And just like we have false guys, false preachers and all jump up in America and claim all these crazy things and create cults and be wrong according to scripture, but they get a great following. So was going on then. You had guys, oh, I'm the Messiah, I'm the mighty one, and people would chase after them. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells us about that in Acts and in the Gospels about, oh, well, you remember that guy who was out there and he got about 50 people to follow him and, you know, but it, it went to nothing because it wasn't real. That's what Gamaliel says to the councils. Like, if, if this isn't of God, it'll just die. Don't worry about it. And of course, it didn't die because it was from God. 
Why did Mary and Joseph say yes? Because they knew what the Bible said. They knew the scripture. And because they knew it and they knew their genealogy, they knew they were in the line of David. And it all lines up and they said yes because they were ready to say yes when God spoke. See, too many of us when God speaks, we're not ready to say yes because we haven't been listening. We haven't been looking. We haven't been living according to God's will. We've just been out doing our own thing. I mean, I, I know you could say, well, what about Paul? God knocked him down. He got saved right away. Yeah, but I don't believe Paul wasn't thinking about it. reason he got mad is he heard Stephen preach. Not Pastor Stephen. Stephen, the first martyr. And uh, he heard Stephen preach. And Stephen explains Jesus out of the Old Testament. And Paul, being an Old Testament scholar, went, he's right, but I don't like it. And he gets so angry, starts killing people that are believing Jesus is the Messiah. And finally, God knocks him down and says, dude, why you keep fighting this? You know it's true. It's hard for you to keep rebelling against me. And Paul goes, okay, I give up. You win. Right? Paul knew the scripture. And so he knew it was right. He just couldn't get over that hump. But he did. Thank God. We got 13 books in the New Testament because of him. Joseph and Mary are in the word. They know the Messiah is going to come. They're looking for him. The wise men, you know, that's a couple years later in the Christmas story, actually. We can never keep that up because we can't bring the wise men in for two years, but we do this every year, so we got to put them in there closer, right? Those men in, why were the men in Babylon looking for the star of the Messiah? Because Daniel was the chief guy of the scientists in Babylon when he was there all those years before. And ever since then, he told them what was going to happen. They're looking for it. There were people looking for this birth. And Joseph and Mary have probably been taught by their parents who they really are. They're like, they're like super secret people. Like, we're the house of David. But don't tell the Romans. Because if it looks like you want to rise up and be king, Joseph, they're going to kill you. But just know that you're a descendant of a king. And then the angel shows up and goes, guess what? Y'all are descendants of the king. And since the Messiah has to be of the house of David... You two are going to get married and you're going to have a baby. But it ain't going to be yours, Joseph. It's going to be God's baby in her. And, and what does it say? He took her to be his wife. And in Matthew 1, it says, But he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and they called him Jesus. He who saves his people from their sin. And so he kept her. He didn't have relationship with her in that way until after the birth of Christ. So that there would never be a doubt to this story. So that's why they said yes. The only answer seems to be. That they were looking for God to intervene in history. Probably a little shocked it was them. I would think so. But they would both be shamed for life to say yes to God. And they accepted it. Even though they were innocent. Think about that. They understood the consequences of going through with it. Joseph could have gotten free of it. Like your problem not mine. Mary could have said, you know, I don't know how this happened and made up something. We don't know. But they said, yes, we will accept the will of God, even though it's going to shame us for the rest of our life. We are going to be outcasts of society. Their child would be doubted unless you believe in him. Jesus put himself in a bad situation to save you. Next time you think God doesn't understand, he totally does. So here comes the next question. Then why you? What about you? You say, well, God's not going to call me to be the dad or the mom of the Messiah. I know. But does God have a plan for you? Absolutely. He wouldn't be God if he didn't, would he? 
I mean, the Bible says Jesus is slain, the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. He knew he was going to come and die, and he created us all anyway. God, there's nothing God doesn't know now or tomorrow. There's nothing God doesn't know if it was different. David asked God, should I go up against him? Will I, will I win if I do? And he went, no, you won't. And so David didn't go. But what if David had went? He wouldn't have won. Because God knew what would happen if he did. He also knew what would happen if he didn't. God knows every alternative to every decision that you think you're making. He is guiding us. He knows us. He has a plan for us. That's why I started with Psalm 139. No matter what you think of yourselves, here's what God thinks of you. I knew you in your mother's womb. I was in there making you. And no matter who you are or what limitations you think you have in your life, God made you exactly the way he needed you to be to fulfill his purpose in your life. Amen? That ought to be encouraging to you today. That ought to, that ought to help you today. God has been at work since before the creation of the earth to bring you into existence for you to follow Jesus. And the only reason you're not is because you aren't in here listening to him. Because this is how God speaks. When we open the word, God speaks to us. When we close the word, he gets quiet. If you want to hear God speak to you, read your Bible out loud. Okay? This is God's word, and in it we find our reason for existence. Just as Mary and Joseph did. So we can be like them in that. There, there's a few things I want you to take home with you today. Let me look at these. Go ahead. You up there? There it is. What does your faith in God's promise look like? God has, God has made promises to you. 2 Corinthians 1 says, As many as may be the promises of God in Christ, they're yes. You give the amen through the Spirit. So what, what does your faith in God's promises look like? Are you totally submitted to the will of God, even if it's going to cost you? We want to follow God to get, get rich and wealthy and healthy and all that. Oh, God, if you'll just do this, I'll do that. How about you just say, God, I'll do whatever you want. And if it's sickness and death and poverty, that's fine. If it's health and prosperity, fine. I'll give it all to you to serve you. No matter what you do in my life, everything in my life is going to turn around to be a worshipful service to you. Amen? That's what we're supposed to do. And so, what does your faith in God's promise look like? What, what, next one, please. You were made for this time and this place for God's purpose. This time and this place. Why are you right here right now? God, you are in this room, in this moment. I am up here in this moment, and I don't know what God's doing. I've had people after church come up and say, man, while you were preaching, I thought about this. It had to have a thing to do with what I was talking about. And I just always go, praise the Lord. You know, like, God can do that. That's awesome. I don't know what God's going to do. I used to go home. You know, we'd, we'd do several services, and Janice would, might not go one Sunday, and I'd get home, and she'd say, well, how was church? I'd say, ask somebody was there. I don't know. Because half the time, I don't know what God's up to. And, and we never do. We never know what God is ultimately doing in this moment. But right now, in this moment, he's trying to do something with you. And he brought you into this moment to hear this. Whether I did it well or poorly, God is using something to speak to you right now. Are you open to it? And what are you going to do with it? And then also, other than showing up on Sunday, how are you going to be worshiping God this Christmas? We can show up on Sunday, weather permitting, next week. But other than that, what are you doing? Are you showing the love of Christ to someone who's in need? 
Are you opening your home and your life to someone who has no one else? Are you being generous in your attempts to help other people, whether hear the gospel or just a physical need? What are you doing in this moment? How are you worshiping God with your life this Christmas?